You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. My name's Lisa Kovacevic. Joining me tonight is Sally Christie and Emma Westwood. Is it just me or does it feel a little bit empty, a bit spacious we're, in we're here one, tonight? One down. We're, we're one, one down. down. Yeah, um, but we're don't, we're not we're not really one down. We've, we 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 fill up the entire studio. The <laughs> usually, three of us. yeah, we do. Really? Yes. We do. Yeah, yeah. My laugh will anyway. Yeah, it's a it's uh, it's a lady cave. It's a lady cave tonight. Yes, just the ladies. Welcome. <laughs> um, I don't know why I turned into a gay man. Then it was very strange. Why did I? I don't know why I went into <laughs> some swarthy kind of. <laughs> I don't know what I did, but anyway. <laughs> well, we're here, and on tonight's show. A serial killer, a giant killer and a queen with a penchant for chopping off heads. Believe it or not, two of these films are children's films. <laughs> um, we are reviewing My Friend Dharma, I Kill Giants and Alice in Wonderland in that order because I thought we'd start in the teen years and then we'll slowly regress to the tween years and then we'll shrink into a childlike <gasps> oh, state. Oh, thinking. Just That's like I do clear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was So we're starting with the children's film. Is no, that no, what you're saying? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Um, we're going to start really dark, like right at the bottom of the rabbit hole, and then we're going to work our way out. So we're going to kick off with My Friend Dharma, which is a story of young Jeffrey Dharma, a shy high school adolescent who became one of America's most notorious serial killers, raping, murdering and cannibalising 17 young men before confessing to his crimes in 1991. Uh, written and directed by Mark Myers, the film is an adaptation of the best-selling 2012 graphic novel of the same name by cartoonist John Durf Backdurf. Um, Durf based the book on his real life experiences with Jeffrey Dahmer in high school soon before Dahmer began his notorious killing spree. It's set in 1978 among the lush forests of Bath, Ohio, um, where isolated high school loner Dahmer collects roadkill, dissecting and preserving it in his shed. Disturbed by his son's behaviour, his father encourages him to make friends. Lacking the social skills to do so, Dahmer starts acting out at school, feigning epileptic fits and seizures. He consequently becomes a source of fascination for a prankish group of boys, including aspiring artist Durf, who interprets his spaz attacks as a form of countercultural resistance. Durf and his friends form the Dharma fan club, egging him on to escalate his pranks and move his performance art in public spaces further afield. The film stars Ross Lynch, Alex Wolfe, Dallas Roberts and Anne Heche as Dharma's mother. It sort of sits within a pantheon of Dharma films, I've now found out. Um... But I actually didn't know very much about Jeffrey Dahmer going into this film, which is might come wow. as a shock to you, does it? Maybe it's yeah, my age. Like, I don't know because uh, I, I thought maybe it was because I was Australian because it's very it's an American story yeah. and and I imagine you know he's quite a notorious figure in the American psyche. I was kind of slightly obsessed with it. I think I made a short film that actually intercut news footage of Jeffrey Dahmer's oh, really? trial into it. So I do know of Jeffrey Dahmer, but. Um, yeah, it was. It's more of an uh, American thing. I don't think it's anything that um, we can claim ownership on. Although I haven't seen any other films on Jeffrey Dahmer. There's a bunch of them apparently, and they all sort of look at the different aspects of his being. And this one yeah. obviously focuses on, on his teenage years before he starts um, 
his killing spree, I suppose. Um, and it sort of ends, it ends there just before that kind of starts. Um, what I was unsure about with the film was because it doesn't elucidate on any of that information and I didn't know any of it. I mean, I, I knew from the trailer and the poster and, um, and then I did a little bit of reading up on him, but I didn't know too much about his story. And I wonder if that was to the film's benefit or detriment what did you guys think because if you didn't know I mean it just expects you to know who Jeffrey Dahmer is going into it 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 it, it does and it doesn't what do you think Sally um I knew a lot of, well, I know a lot about Jeffrey mm. Dahmer I'm one of those people that really like true crime so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so am I, yeah. but I, I did, I've just missed this one somehow yeah Dahmer's one of the big hitters yeah. he's one of the big ones um but I, I do think that it worked in favour. I remember when I first saw this film quite a while ago now that I went with my partner who's not so much into that and he really enjoyed it because it came off as a kind of Napoleon Dynamite sort of film for mm. him, which there's definitely those aspects to it for sure. Mm. Yeah, mm. so I think that it could work in, you know, the viewer's favour if they're not, you know, so invested in that background. I, yeah, I totally agree because mm. it was actually quite funny at yeah. times too. Mm-hmm. It was like a quirky high school tragedy comedy, I suppose, you, almost. Do you think, Em, what did you take from it? Well, I, I wrote a note that said um, dazed and confused for serial killers. So, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, picking up on that. It definitely hammered, played with the 70s aesthetic really heavily, although I felt that um, it used the music really cleverly. It didn't use the music to detract from what was going on, so there wasn't anything that was too obvious. It was all very 70s, but it wasn't quite so obvious. I think the most obvious song, and I can't even remember what the track was now, but it was um, a scene from the prom that was probably one of the biggest hits in there. But otherwise it was just evocative of the 70s. But everything was evocative of the 70s. I mean, he was, Jeffrey Dahmer just seemed to be right completely perfectly out of that decade and the house, the way the house was designed and um, with the macrame owls and all the... And the interior design was a really big thing. Like the mother was Anne H, who, uh, Anne H, who was almost unrecognisable as, as the mother. It I took me a so while too. to recognise her and she was... I thought she was incredible. She played that role incredibly well because it's a, an interesting, nuanced role. But there is something about, actually, Sally, I think you told me about the interior design. Not just the interior design. Yeah. That house that it is shot in was Jeffrey Dahmer's childhood house. Whoa. Um, mm. So the director, Mark Myers, um, wanted to shoot in that house. There is a musician that lives in that home now who was really super accommodating. Um, so they went and basically said, can we were making this film about Jeffrey Dahmer, can we use his childhood home? He moved out for the duration of the shoot. Um, the hut where he kind of had his chemistry lab, they rebuilt and they rebuilt that on the exact same spot where Jeffrey Dahmer did have his original sort of chemistry lab growing up as um, a teenager. And, yeah, so it is his actual wow. childhood home that they filmed in. So the That's owner incredible. of the home let them kind of, you know, do whatever they wanted to it with the interior design and all that kind of stuff, yeah. I thought um, I thought Ross Lynch, who plays Dharma, was mm. remarkable. He was amazing, He yeah. was so eerie, but, but also I think the most terrifying about 
terrifying thing about the film was how human he was. So you really, well, I really empathised with him as that outsider kid, but there was this undercurrent of what's to come, which was the thing that kept the tension of the film for me Mm. going, is that you know where it's heading and that the the children, all the teenagers around him don't understand. They they see him as acting out, as being countercultural, and they sort of, use him as a muse. So Durf, who who goes on to write the graphic novel that the film's based on and who was his friend in high school, sees him as this sort of quirky muse. He's like, yeah, we're going to like shake up the system. And But they didn't understand, they don't understand the, mm. the real trauma that's inside there. And I, I thought that was really interesting. And the film to me didn't, didn't say Dharma's born this way and it didn't say Dharma was created by parents or whatever. It was like a multitude of things, I felt. Yeah, uh, it was interesting because I think it's Dallas Roberts who plays his dad in it, who I have seen in a number of things, but I can't recall what at this this moment. But he, um, it kind of suggested that his dad sort of uh, could see himself in in his son a lot. He, in fact, he explicitly says yep. that. And there's um, a few times where he has a specific walk. The Jeffrey. It was kind of like a bit of a Neanderthal's shoulders forward, the way his arms hung forward walk. And his dad had a very similar way, maybe not quite as pronounced, but a similar way of walking. And there was one scene where they were standing by the the railing of the outdoor deck of their house and they were both standing in the both the same way. And um, so I think it was kind of this idea that, yeah, na- a little bit of nature in there, the nurture, the dysfunctional home, but there was nothing that would be saying that you become a serial killer. Um, ho- repressed homosexuality, that's not going to say you're going to become a serial killer. So, yeah, it was interesting. Um Jeffrey Dahmer's dad did cash in a lot on Jeffrey Dahmer's crimes. Oh, did yeah. he? All right. Um, so I think that kind of the re- way that his relationship was portrayed in the film was really important because I think, oh God, it wasn't that long after he got caught and put in jail that his dad wrote a big book. After he was killed in jail, his dad was on Larry King and, you know, really spoke very publicly about it. So... Yeah. I didn't get the feel of that. He didn't feel a cash-in kind of guy even, in the film. Even when you see him interviewed, he doesn't feel that. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm reading him wrong because I have seen him speak where he's saying he just kind of wants people to know the warning signs of, right. you know, of yeah. if you have a child that is potentially Jeffrey oh, Dahmer. Well, well but, yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's probably one of my only criticisms about the film is that that the, a lot of the, the first sort of half of the film is spent showing us the classic warning signs of a serial killer, you know, like tormenting animals and yeah. dissecting creatures and that sort of peculiar behaviour that we're taught, you know, this is um, this shows a lack of empathy and it could lead to psychopathy and et cetera. Yeah, um, yeah I, I thought that was laid on a little bit thick and his obsession with a jogger that runs past every day, but but that that never amounts to anything is quite good if you know what I mean. Within the context of this film, we're just sort of left with an end note. Yeah, um, I thought I really liked that about me too. This movie no, I liked yeah, that. Yeah. I liked that mm. about the end. I just thought that the start was a, a little bit, maybe a little bit cliched or something. Mm. I think those sorts of elements, but maybe but, but he, maybe he lived the cliche. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 
There was, I did like the way that um, Ross Lynch was, and you said, Sally, that he came from Disney, oh, a background of Disney. I, I, am, I am all for all these Disney stars going on to play serial I killers think this at the is moment. Great. We've got Zac Efron's about to be Ted <laughs> Bundy. Oh, I know, that looks incredible. I am so excited for that one, but I'm all for Disney um, is, turning serial killers. It is great. I mean, yeah, talk about a, a quite a, a breakout role. Uh, certainly he's uh, he's trying to shed the the Disney um, the Disney rep with this one, but he is also a really great looking guy, and um, he could be the popular kid, except he's slightly weird, mm. and he sort of in some ways rises above any bullying. He's like the kid that's aside. Even the guys that there's kind of a, a tendency. It's almost as though they're going. He's going to be in a bullying situation. But it doesn't. It, it, he's always too weird to even be bullied. He kind of freaks out everyone, and like you said, they take him on. They consider him as their muse. Although Durf does talk about, or, or towards the end, suggest that he's felt that they've used Jeffrey Dahmer there's in some of, way. Yeah, there's a sense of guilt amongst those friends there's in the a, end where they've yeah. used him for their for their love. amusement. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. And there's there's actually to talk about that comedy. There's a quite a, a funny series of events where they get him to um, feature in every photo of the yearbook, <laughs> mm, um, which actually great. happened. <laughs> and um, so he so they, in the American yearbooks, they'll they'll have them in like the the yachting club, the music club, the drama club, and he's in every photo. And I kind of watching and I was like, wow, did he, was he the first photo bomber? Because yeah. this is amazing. Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah. OG photo bomber. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I found oh that actually God. quite hilarious. But um, but then it turns quite sinister beyond that, doesn't it? It's, inter- really, it's interesting because they, if you see the teacher actually, um, I think she gets a big black pen and uh, scribbles oh, out his face and this idea of erasing identity. And, and I think this is something that's played out um, quite a lot um, or, or it's a good emotion to play out with young young boys, this idea of in, invisibility, mm. not wanting to be invisible. And that's something that well, we're going to talk about, I Kill Giants, but mm. A Monster Calls, which is a film that was a similar type of film, a lot of the anger of this kid and what he's dealing with is the fact that he doesn't want to be, he's he's grieving and he's dealing with really strong emotions, but he doesn't want to be invisible as part of it. Mm. And I think Jeffrey Dahmer's character was all about, he definitely didn't want to be invisible. He was drawing attention to himself constantly. I really liked um, as well in this film, going back to what you were saying before, Lisa, how he's not portrayed as this menacing um, character in high school, that he is quite likeable, he's got a group of friends and that there's only perhaps one scene in it where you're going, oh, my God, is he going to do something? Mm. Um, yeah, but I, I think that the, the fact that he's come across is that they don't know what's going to happen in the future with him. They have no idea that this. Yeah, there's no yeah. warning signs of them going, oh, this guy's going to turn out to be a serial killer. Yeah, and he's, he's quite confident. He's not scared of uh, approaching a girl and asking her to go to the, the prom with him, which is always set up as such a big deal yeah. in, in American movies. Mm. So he's kind of the an outlier, outcast of his own volition, really. Mm. It's what he wants to be, you mm. know. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, he, rem- he actually reminds me of, of two friends I had in high school. So th- I think How that- are they now? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to be calling them up anytime soon. Um, but, but, but I think, as I said before, I think that's where the real genius of the film is, is that he's so human. They don't turn him into a monster, which is the most terrifying thing, is that how human he is and that portrayal as well. 
You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. I Kill Giants is also based on a graphic novel of the same name by Joe Kelly and like my friend Dharma, it also features an isolated teen, though thankfully this is very much a work of fiction, yet its subtext is very real. Um, in I Kill Giants, a teenage girl, Barbara Thorson, faces her worst fears in increasingly dangerous ways when demon-like giants threaten to destroy her small town on windswept Long Island. Barbara is a wild, moody tween living with her older sister and brother. Their parents are absent for reasons that are revealed through the course of the film. Um, Barbara is also a giant slayer, a lone warrior protecting her town from a threat that, remain, that remains blissfully unaware to the townspeople. I didn't say that right, but you know what I mean. The townspeople don't know that it's going on. Um, In her armour, a battered pair of rabbit ears, Barbara goes about her daily business of setting traps and creating anti-monster potions, ignoring the taunts of the bullies at school and often boldly fighting back. Despite her big sister Karen's attempts to bond with her, Barbara is as combative at home as she is friendless at school. However, friendship beckons when a new girl arrives and is drawn to her eccentricities, but Barbara's fiery determination effectively keeps people out. Um, this 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 was the film I needed as a child, I reckon. I, I, at about nine years old, I went through a similar trauma that, that, that li- this little girl does. And as a woman, now in my 30s, I could still relate to a lot of it. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with the performance of Madison Wolfe, um, who was really mature, um, but still childlike and not much mature but beyond her years, which I find really irritating in children's yes. films. Um, <laughs> she sort of, she holds it, together really nicely um but yeah i i wept big adult tears at the end of this film <laughs> i really did so so don't say anything bad about it <laughs> oh no i love th- i love that you say that because um thomas recommended this film thomas caldwell thomas uh, did recommend it he and recommended I, and I, it. I emailed him privately back so that you guys couldn't see it saying i really loved this film and he said he said i'm so glad that you said that because i've become strangely defensive about it yeah and well he said that the <laughs> A lot of people do not like this film. Right. I find it hard to believe there would be strong feelings against it. It doesn't seem to be yeah. that sort of that sort of movie. Um, I will say that I, I enjoyed it too, um, just to annoy Thomas because he thinks I've got very bad taste. <laughs> <laughs> Although, uh, so I'm now making him doubt himself. But um, but where we did come together in uh, in agreement was uh, on a film called A Monster Calls last year. And yeah. Thomas and I were both the two on the show who both put it on our top ten, 10 list yep. last, of, of last year and that was one film that I felt was absolutely criminal that it didn't get. It didn't get the release it should have. It should have been an incredibly popular film. It was wonderful and that was a film that I cried my heart out in. I found this to be... Great. I really enjoyed it, but it was kind of uh, A Monster Calls Light. That's why right. I really like well, you see, to I've see it. I've not seen A Monster Calls. I have to go see it. Yeah, yeah. I'd like I'd like you to see it. I will see it, Emma. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 that would make me happy. Okay, You Mom. can borrow my DVD. I have it on DVD <laughs> now. So um, it's – although that is about a boy, so it's about – and it's very much um, – uh, I felt – 
the young boy emotions. It was mm. quite gender specific mm-hmm. in his emotion, but I love that. Mm. I love that it worked with the way a young boy would deal with the, a certain situation. See, what I loved about this was that it was a girl though and, and I'm yeah, just so is... every time there's like a female heroine that isn't beautiful, that isn't, nothing's about the way she looks and about her beauty or her confidence, or the, I, I, I'm just yeah. really thankful that the film exists. Did you, I felt that there was... Part, partly this film could have, and this is just an observation, mm. it's not necessarily a criticism of it, but that could have been, you could have put a boy in that role and it would have been the same character. Yeah, totally. So they, they kind of, um, even the, the bully was very... Genderless. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And that was interesting. I would have liked to have seen the boy be more of a girl because I think that could have been quite um, more evil because girls are psychological can be psychologically more manipulative. Yeah, boys yeah. are very singular. You know, punch punch someone in the head. Mm. So I would have liked to have seen that. Mm. Let's say it yeah. was interesting with Barbara, who um, was the main character in the film. Though when she was retaliating to this bully, though, that she it was kind of I found that quite a female teenage way that she went about it where she was it was completely based on how she looked was yeah it? i'm yep. trying to think oh, okay yep where the figure was uh, that, oh okay so yep. she sort of attacked her verbally about her looks or something that she was long and yeah. oh, like yes. a skeleton so it was yeah kind of very much based on her body right which yeah is quite a very a female but teenage I found, thing to do i found that retaliation though even was like a um was kind of boyish yep Mm. You know what I mean? I, I almost feel like I don't know. This is based on another graphic novel. I haven't seen it. Um, it, it could have been. You could have had boys in this film playing yeah. those roles. Interestingly, I think it's great that they're all girls, like you said, and it is incredibly female centric. I mean, where are the the male characters? In it? Yeah, I mean, it, it is written by a male, and it was sort of, as far as I know, based around his daughter. And he was losing the, the writer was losing his the writer wrote for Marvel and other comics. Yeah, um, and he was losing his father at the time, but also had a young daughter and was sort of ne- negotiating his, his emotions, and yeah. so came up with this story. Um, so maybe that's where that sort of um, genderlessness comes from from the source. Material. I'm yeah, not, maybe potentially. I'm not sure, but what I like about it is that it that it is sort of genderless, but it's embodied within female bodies, and I think that that's really important for for young audiences, mm. um, for boys and girls. And I just, you know, you want to see, you want boys to be watching movies where girls are the heroine as much as you want girls to and be a watching powerful them. Girl, that's right. And she's a powerful. Yeah, girl. yeah, yeah. Super active, and I, yeah. So I, so that's what I commend the film on on doing. Um, there's there's nothing to me. It didn't actually feel very stereotyped in any in any no, way. No, I don't think so. Either. My kind of one big thought that I had when I was watching that is, gee, I, I really want my niece to see this, yeah. who is nine. Um, it's perfect yeah, for her. Yeah, that yeah. was my my big strong thoughts was mm. that I really want her to see this. Uh, aside from that, I didn't love it. Mm. Sorry, Lisa. No, no, it's fine. You don't but, have to love but, it. <laughs> but you know what? I did still cry big adult tears in it because I will cry at commercials. I'm a big <laughs> I, I definitely see the appeal for like nine and ten year old girls. I think it's a great watch for that. I was a little neutral on it. I didn't. 
yeah, it didn't I, do I that much for me. I agree with you because it's yeah. not, it's pretty subtle actually. Like it's pretty yeah. slow. It's a slow burn. It doesn't really reveal too much for quite a while. And I think, but what I think this film, I actually think if you try and watch this film as your younger self, you get more from it mm. because it, to me, this is like, this is like going back to the great sort of children's films of the 80s, which mm. I was, I often lament they don't make them the way they used to, you know. Yeah, <laughs> um, but this, yeah mum. Yeah, I know, totally. I've become a mum. But this, this just felt like a really great, it could have been like the Goonies, it could have been, there's some weird films from the 80s like The Peanut Butter Solution, which yeah. which deal with really um, heavy <laughs> themes, but it played out in these really weird abstract ways and it's got touches of Pete's Dragon and Jim Henson's A Dark Crystal and um, those films of the 80s which were just like, how, how they got made is beyond me, which I think is really interesting. But Can, um, can yes. you remember a film called Lady in White? from the 80s. No, but I've been told about it from my yeah, girl, by my girlfriend. That's, a, that's more of a, um, a ghost film, but um, another from a child's point of view. Yeah, so these, yeah. it reminds me of those films that you, you'd find in the old video shops and be like, mm. what's this cover and take it home? And this is just wacky and then really have to watch it a hundred times to really understand it because it plays on your psyche yeah. more than it does on the narrative. Yeah. I think the, the, the monster... The monster, the manifestation of monsters to, uh, to, you know, emotions. metaphorically deal, deal with emotions, mm. yeah, is um, is really uh, strong. Mm. And I think, you know, it's just been, pro- that's been proven throughout movie making history and children's alliances with monsters, especially the, the idea of the being scared of the emotion, therefore the monster taking on incredibly scary forms and then coming to reconcile with their emotions. It's a very powerful device. It is, yeah. A and really powerful device. Yeah, I, I thought it played out well in this film in the art direction and the setting. Did um, you like the monsters? Uh, did you think I didn't love the monsters, yeah, actually. I didn't love them either. Yeah. They, they were all right. Yeah. They were okay. They were yeah. okay. I actually more, I liked all the um, the handcraftedness of things. I liked her, her weapons that were handcrafted and I liked her little hut on the beach. And I thought yeah. whoever the art director was in those uh, departments did a really she good job. She got a job. little bit steampunk at she did. Oh, yeah, she, well, did he, you notice that? Well, he, the guy that wrote yeah. it, sort of wrote a comic series called Steampunk in, oh, really? in the early noughties. Oh, yeah, in oh, the early noughties, funny enough. Yeah, so it's it's not, yeah, it's quite, um, it's a good pickup that you made there, yeah. <laughs> um, and I really enjoyed her little, her bunnies and um, her, her costuming was great, her glasses. I thought she, she just was, looked um, like a great, great nerd, a yeah. great sort of nerdy, she was fighty tough. character. She was, she tough was very tough, which was excellent. She didn't give a shit Either. No, really, she was just quite self-possessed. Yeah, in the yeah, way she, she was. Yeah, you know. it's actually kind of like Dharma, my friend Dharma, <laughs> in the way that he just didn't care about bullies at school. She was kind of similar. Yeah. They had their own sort of things going on. But I shouldn't really make I did, comparisons. I did think, no, no, maybe not. I think, yeah, but this um, this film for me, the end just dragged out a little bit. Agreed. I felt that it, it it kind of tried to bring the emotionality of it. it tried to ramp it up a little bit too much. Uh, Um, I would really like to hear what you think of uh, Monster Calls when you see it. That is, (laughs) that will kill you. It's so, it's so, it's such a weepy. It's just, you know, you'll be in buckets of tears, but it just somehow works the emotion in in a nice, neater way. This one seemed to be a little bit too enamoured with its finale, let's say. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. I think Monster Calls has come up in both reviews so far tonight. Let's see if it comes up in the last film, which will be... (laughs) I'll I'll put it in there. I'll make sure it gets in. Go for it. 
even though you haven't seen the film. Yeah, but anyway, put it in there. Because <laughs> um, after the break, we're going to be discussing um, Disney's 1951 classic Alice in Wonderland, which is currently playing um, at Acme alongside an exhibition called Wonderland, um, which is all about uh, Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland and all the filmic iterations it's had. Three. Triple. Why are we talking about a children's film from 1951, you might ask? Um, But as I mentioned before the break, um, if you're listening to this program in Melbourne, where we're broadcasting from, there is an exhibition happening at the Australian Centre for the Moving Image called Wonderland, which celebrates Lewis Carroll's heroine in all her incarnations for the screen, for which there are countless interpretations. Um, And this one, uh, the Disney 1951 film, is playing alongside the exhibition until October, so that's why we're having a little chat about it today. Um, the film, oh yes, Lisa, yes, yes. I think it's worthwhile saying that this is a Melbourne cr- created and curated yes. exhibition. So we have the world premiere here, and I haven't got to see it yet, but I'm really excited, and I hope it travels the world. Yes, same. It's, it yeah. looks, it look, what I've seen of it, it looks wonderful. I'm going this weekend. I would have loved to have gone before we spoke about it, but never mind. Um, so uh, the Disney version um, was based on Lewis Carroll's book Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, and through the Looking Glass. Um, when Disney's film was released in 51, only a few adaptations for the screen had existed before it. and Not the musical porn version? <laughs> no. Is that Alice in Acidland? That came out in like 1969, I think. I think. Appropriately. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I think... I think for I think the re, well you know I think the fact that it was animation solved a lot of the location problems that earlier sort of attempts would have had because it was obviously pre CGI a la Tim Burton style um, Alice versions and look I'm sure most listeners know what the story is about but do you think I need to give a little bit of um, maybe a tiny a bit a tiny bit for the uninitiated so the basic plot of Alice in Wonderland is about a little girl of seven named Alice who's sitting by a riverbank with her elder sister somewhere in England she then notices a talking white rabbit in a waistcoat carrying a pocket watch run past claiming that he's late for a very important date um, she follows it down a rabbit hole and suddenly falls a long way to the curious wonderland where she takes mushrooms and other hallucinogens grows bigger than a house shrinks to the size of a mouse meets a hooker smoking caterpillar a mad hatter and a talking Cheshire cat and all manner of other anthropomorphic creatures. It doesn't quite sound like a children's film, does it? <laughs> no, it never, it never did. Which is yeah, It which, just gets curiouser a, and curiouser. Yeah, which is its appeal. Um, <laughs> this film was made under the supervision of Walt Disney himself um, and it's this animation is regarded as some of the finest work of Disney's studio. However, the reviews it received at the time were incredibly lacklustre, even hostile, especially in the UK, um, which is the story's current country of origin where Carol wrote it Um, and even though the even those that made the film, including Disney himself, didn't like it, though it did receive an Academy Award nomination for Best Original Score. And I think the music's actually quite great. Um, but it did gain popularity in the 70s due to the drug culture fandom <laughs> at the time. And it was re-released in 74 and then again in 81. So by the 80s, the initial initial sort of poor response was outdated and it became one of the biggest cult classics in animation, in the animation medium. And... Um, but got all this sort of belated critical praise and became one of the most commercially successful and popular films of the Disney canon. Mm. Um, what about you, Sally? Did it stand the test of time? Oh, yeah, of course. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, this was my first introduction to Alice and Alice in Wonderland as a character when I was a kid. This was the first ever thing I'd seen apart from, um, sorry, before I had read 
you know, Alice in Wonderland or Through the Looking Glass. And, yeah, it's just such a, such a beautiful, beautiful animation. Like, I feel nervous talking about this like I did feel nervous talking about 2001 last week <laughs> because it's just a perfect film, I think. It's gorgeous. And I know a lot of it, we do associate it a lot with drug culture and I love all the <laughs> drug culture stuff that's come from Alice as well, like... um saying Alice in Acidland before. Mm. Also the cautionary tales of like Go Ask Alice, which was, does anyone remember that book? No. no. Oh, you don't know. This is a, no. The book came from the Jefferson Airplane song, yeah. you know. Um, it was kind of along the same lines as Christiane F., so kids were reading this in school. It was a diary book that was by Anonymous. Uh, it was totally fabricated and bullshit. But they were, <laughs> you know, it was one of those books where she went crazy on acid and all this stuff. So people were given this book to read to prevent them from taking drugs pretty much. And it's still, I think it's still in print. Like, wow. Yeah. So I do, I love I, I love the drug culture surrounding Alice in Wonderland as well. But this was... um. He was he was really heavily uh, married to this film Walt Disney, wasn't he? This was one of the, fir- the well, first well, yes. thing he wanted to make. It, yeah, yes, mm. right back into the thirties. He he sort of divorced himself from it when it didn't do very well, but. Um, it was undeniable that he was really into this. Um, it was a really ambitious book, though, books to um, to actually create as an animated feature, mainly because I think there was something like there's something like 80 plus characters in um, Alice it, yeah. in the Alice stories, and obviously that's too much to present within um, a single feature film. Not only that, it's it's really quite a tight little film. It's only about an hour or 15 minutes and that was on purpose because Disney decided that children's attention spans would not be beyond that. But he had to uh, rework the storyline. So that's, I think, why there was always going to be a backlash against this. Try to rework it as faithfully as possible. But there had to be... Um, certain economic um, you know, measures that were put into place in order to bring it to the screen. So things like the the talking doorknob was not in the books, but they used that in the film as a sort of a narrative uh, shortcut to get the 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 story moving. Um, also, it was because of the um, uh, yeah John Tenniel who did the originally illustrations mm-hmm. for the book, and they had become so iconic. So people. That's what people thought of when they thought of Alice in Wonderland, but they were all these really intricate um, line drawings and sketches. So in order to do the Technicolor, which is, you know, huge blocks of colour and um, animate that, they had to be completely reworked. So you've got... um, the design came from the background of the design was um, uh, a woman called Mary Blair and she was the one who created the look that um, Walt Disney was happy with. But basically the the actors, there were actors, Catherine Beaumont who plays Alice and that beautiful little clipped British voice mm. that she's got, she was a young 13-year-old girl. Um, she had to act out the whole, physically act out the whole thing um, as well as the other characters. So in, in effect, they actually filmed a live action um, film alongside the animated film. So this was really, really expensive, as all those Disney films were. Disney, we think of Disney being brought up in a Disney generation. You kind of think, oh, there's just a little Disney film. Da, 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 da. They're just something that 
that's there. But when you look into the the actual making of Disney films, every time, no matter what you think of Walt Disney as a person, he he basically would bankrupt the studio with each production, each animated production, um, in order to and just hope that it would recoup its money in order to make the next. And a couple of times he had to backpedal. This film being one of those, so he was just constantly pushing creative boundaries and the money that it took to do this. He was the only person brave enough to do it. We wouldn't have this gorgeous stuff if he hadn't of um, you had the cojones to move forward with that. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of Disney's um, celebrated voice actors, I think, started in Alice in Wonderland too. Is that well? Right? She went on the girl that plays Alice she went on to play Wendy, Wendy yep. in Peter Pan, which yeah. was a film that followed followed this one. Um, the thing that struck me about this was how psychedelic it was, and I didn't remember it being so psychedelic from childhood, but because I think that the the charm of Alice is the way that it, it um, Carol, who obviously wrote the source material, it, the, the story endures because it's just this universal literature and it captures that time in a child or a human's life between childhood and adulthood where the categories that we impose on our adult life aren't fully integrated yet. No, and, yeah, and so exactly. it's, it's got this sort of, it occupies this fluid space between dream, a dream state and a reality state. Um, and and that sort of, those sort of barriers, barriers between Dream. I hope I'm not going to sound like some sort of. Um, <laughs> I've just taken Freudian. a mush. I've taken a mushroom. Very Freudian I mean, there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Freudian's all right. I just want to like I've eaten half the mushroom. Um, but it's that sort of that. I think that barrier between dream and reality remains really porous in Alice in Alice in Wonderland. And he and they grasp that um, childlike understanding of the world and how they have to negotiate their creative childlike wonder with the rules ordained by the yeah. adult world and. Um, yeah, and rules that, that that when broken down seem nonsensical. Mm, and Car- mm, mm. Carol sort of like reveals this with those clever word plays and and riddles. Um, and he was a mathematician. I mean, he he's all about um, breaking down the codes of language, and it's just so f- wonderful. It's it's so rich the text, and that's why so many artists draw from it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that that whole growing up, the idea of growing up and being on the precipice of mm. changing, and the the idea of body changes brain, body changes. I mean, Alice is up and down like a yo-yo through That's the right. whole thing. Absolutely. <laughs> and and there's even lines where she says, but I'm just a little girl and, oh, not really that little like, girl. Sort of no, thing. and then she'll grow huge and tell the queen off, you know. Yeah. You're, you're just nothing but a pack of cards. And, um, yeah, it's that sort of negotiating that transitional period. But another it? strong female role, you yeah. know, a little girl who is quite powerful and, um, you know, that's... Uh, We've got a little theme going tonight. We I do. like the way this is all working yeah. in. Yeah, you know, it's too. all very nice. It is. And it's remarkable that it was made in 1951 and it was such a great, strong female protagonist. And it was written over 150 years ago, actually, too. Um, but uh, it, for all the Disney characters, and now there's like this pantheon of Disney princesses, which they brand yeah. and market um, and slap over everything. And I think how wonderful that she's not a princess and that she's just a little girl with an incredible imagination. Um, I I think this is the kind of heroine you want to see more of on on screen. And and it's, yeah, it's remarkable that it's so old. 
There was um, actually the, quite a few films that are playing around this season, this Wonderland season at Acme, and I was um, lucky to see one called Valerie and Her Week of Wonders um, last Friday night, which is an, an incredible, trippy, weird little Alice in Wonderland film, if anyone. I know it's on DVD from Criterion Correct, um, Collection, but it was a Czech film that actually definitely draws from Alice in Wonderland, but um, let's say with far more adult consequences. I bet, I bet, those, I bet those Eastern Europeans had some nasty yeah. work. But it's just amazing the influence of this, this these books, you know, that's incredible that they've had just the tentacles have gone out right across so many different cultures and it just keeps on bringing back in its rewards. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's remarkable. I think that's about all we have time for tonight. Um, tonight we discuss My Friend Dharma and I Kill Giants, which is on limited release at a few good local independent cinemas and Alice in Wonderland, which is currently screening at Acme Cinemas until October 6th alongside their Wonderland exhibition. Um, you can head to the Acme website for session times. You've been listening to Sally Christie, Emma Westwood, myself, Lisa Kovacevic, here on Triple R's Plato's Cave. The podcast version of the show is edited by Faith Everard. On next week's show, we might be discussing Hereditary, or we are. Oh, we will be. We will be. Hereditary. uh, I got to watch Alice in Wonderland after that, and can I just say I really needed to watch Alice in Wonderland (laughs) after that. (laughs) Brace yourselves. And Kodachrome, is that right? And Ocean's 8? Yes. Yes? Yes. Yes. Let's just say yes. I'm making the call now. Yes. Let's lock it in on air so we can't renege. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.